welcome to another episode of that podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And we have a special guest with us today. We have Emily Stamey. Hi, Emily. Hi. Would you like to uh, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Do a bit of an introduction. <laughs> Hi, I'm a I'm a developer. I work at Inquest, a network security company that uh, has a tool for monitoring network traffic and uh, doing some threat assessment. And I'm predominantly a PHP developer. I work on the front end of that application that displays the results of what threats have been found to the users. Cool. Um, and so you're, you're, what is your part of the application then? Because you're, you're not actually doing the packet inspection or anything like that, are you? No. I am yeah. working on the front end, but I am a back-end developer. <laughs> so it's it's kind of, uh, I'm on the user-facing part of the application that, like I said, shows the results of okay. the analysis. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I, I've worked with some people working on some like security network security uh what like the boxes like what's what's the word <laughs> um like when you have like a box you just like plug in it's like an off-the-shelf sort of thing um appliance uh, appliance appliance yeah that's the word i was looking <laughs> for so I've, I've known some people who've worked on that kind of thing in the past um it, is, is it like an appliance or is it uh, like a cloud-based thing we do or have our own is appliance. that something you can talk about it's there are okay. a lot of layers to it, but the product itself does something that isn't readily available on the market. It does some deep file inspection of what is happening, what is being passed across the network. And hmm. not being cool. from a security background, it's a little bit hard for me to explain it well. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- what what kind of uh, customers do you have? Like like who looks for uh, the appliance that you're selling? It's a lot of government software? contracts. Okay, cool. So it's 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 mostly like large enterprises and things like that. There are some smaller smaller entities using it, but um, I guess the the usual um, I'm kind of terrible at this, but uh, I guess the there's usually someone dedicated to monitoring this traffic. Okay. Okay. So, so the because the user interface you're describing that you work on, that's going to be used by end users, not by uh, professionals that work with you. Does that make sense? So, this is what the end the the end the interface is what your customers see, rather than necessarily a reporting for. Right. Uh, people who work for you to, right. to then act the on The end user like is at our customer's office, and we actually don't see what they see in most cases. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so, okay. so it's directly for them to use. I, was, I wasn't too sure about that, so that's cool. So, um, and that's all in PHP. Uh, is it all, do you, do you use any fancy JavaScript stuff on the front end? I'm very far behind in the whole JavaScript uh, world. Bo is a bit up to, up to date on that kind of thing. I'm uh, so <laughs> I say fancy. It could be anything, anything, anything more than jQuery is a, uh, is fancy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we actually got a, we actually got a comment on Twitter uh, as far as Dave saying, you know, I, I, I'm up to speed. <laughs> we got it. I, I, I mentioned something about, um, this whole uh, CSS inside JavaScript being a fad. <laughs> and this person just like, just jumped on that 
just to say something snob snotty along the lines of, yeah, that was like 2016. It's not a fad anymore. It's just the way things are done. And I was like, Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah. So the user interface itself, the part that I work on is uh, PHP API and angular for the, and that's really just for, like I said, displaying the information of what we found the engine itself that does the scanning and analysis is built using uh, Python and a little bit of Go. And there are some older Perl packages that are being phased out. Yeah. I've looked at a little bit to find, find some information, but, uh, but no. <laughs> Good old Perl. I don't think we've ever talked about that, Dave, but my my first language of choice was actually Perl. Me too. Yeah. Like back in like the, the late nineties, that was I spent a lot of time in Perl before I jumped on PHP. I I've 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 shipped quite a bit of Perl. Um at some point in the past, uh the uh, the particular spreadsheet library that was available for Perl uh was and in CPAN was far superior than anything else I could find, uh, at least on the on the Linux ecosystem. And uh mm-hmm. and it literally to the point where the spreadsheets I was gener- I was generating it did include a lot of um formula and complicated stuff. Uh so I I had to use Perl for that basically just because it was the only uh library that of all the available open source spreadsheet and mm-hmm. I say spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet had to be Excel uh, generated yeah. stuff. Perl was the one, uh, and yeah, it was messy, but it worked. It's probably still working now, ten, fifteen years later. Uh, I hope, anyway. Yeah, the language has changed so much, at least in my experience from when I was writing it. I don't think it's actually like changed from like I don't think it's Perl six yet. I think they sort of had a PHP six sort of thing going on for a little while. Um, I think it's still the same version of Perl, uh, maybe, maybe another minor version or two or something like that, but I can't read it. It looks so different now than I remember or anything that I'm used to. It's just Mm. bizarre. The abbreviating of, um, variables and things like that, that I used to love and that I thought it was so weird as we started stretching them out in PHP and Mm -hmm. making them more detailed and descriptive. Um, now looking back at at them in yeah. Perl, it it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I mean, the only thing I can think of that I took a lot from Perl is the regular expressions, and mm. mm-hmm. that's the only thing that still stays with me today. Occasionally, think of a Perl naming convention that I don't really follow anymore. But um, I was I, I was always um, I don't know if I was taught, but I read somewhere that in Perl. Uh, things like arrays should be named as singular rather than a plural, mm. because you're then going to say if you if you if you then dereferencing a, the, the array with a, an ad, an index, then it would be singular and the index so thing one rather than things one. If that makes sense, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I rarely stick to it. But uh, I remember that for some reason mm. that stays with me from Perl. <laughs> Cool. So you, you're relatively new at, at this job, right, Emily? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, 
because I think uh, I think I do. I've, I've known you. I've known you for a while. I think I met you at PHP Tech like three or four years ago, maybe at least something along those lines. And, and um, I I want to say it was at uh, one of the open spaces on domain driven design. I think um, I think you were there. Um, a couple of other people that I've met uh, were there as well. So I, I know you've been doing a lot of DDD stuff. Uh, you've been doing a lot, at least over the last couple of years, doing like event sourcing and things like that. Um, you've, you're giving a number of talks on these subjects too. Uh, I've been able to sit down on a couple of them, which, which is pretty awesome. Um, so, are you, so how far did you actually get with your uh, event sourcing and CQRS stuff at your previous place? Uh, did you actually like get a fully realized application yes. that was running in production? Yeah. Yes. But I should say that like, the only fully DDD application that I worked on was that first one because we went all in and did all the things. So we, we bit off mm-hmm. DDD, CQRS and event sourcing all at once without, I hadn't really finished the blue book. Um, and I had, skimmed parts of the red book as well. Um, my teammates, mm-hmm. Dustin and Mitch, I guess Dustin read most, most of it and had been doing a fair amount of research before we launched that project. But, uh, mm-hmm. we bit off quite a bit of work and we also had the really tight deadlines that, that produce quality code, but we did manage to, uh, to produce something that worked really well and did its job really well. It was a scholarships application that managed um, students who were applying for scholarships in the College of Engineering, and they were being given scholarships that were awarded by uh, different departments of the College of Engineering. So they could look at the students and see their qualifications. They could look at the scholarships and see what was required of a uh, candidate to receive that scholarship. And then handling all of the budgets, all of that was fully event sourced. Cool. It sounds like it was a a domain well suited for these complicated tasks, even if it was on a tight schedule. Yeah, it was it was definitely needed for this project because the existing application that we were trying to replace in parts had been um, really neglected. It hadn't been getting regular maintenance to bring it up to par. There were a few things that were broken, but the code was really risky to make changes to. So being able to write, write some new code off to the side and hook it into the code igniter framework was really helpful so that if something went wrong and we had only replaced, I don't think I'd realize (laughs) you didn't realize it was code igniter. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wow. Have you used code igniter before Dave? I I used CodeIgniter once, um, and uh, interesting story. I made a, a URL shortener um, because that was like a thing to do with new with web frameworks, and it was um, shortly after the .in uh, top level domain extension had been released. So I believe that's in uh, for India .in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pinched a domain name lnkd.in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was great for a little while, but I then did get some uh, nasty emails and threats of legal action. Um, yeah. And I managed to negotiate a year's premium access to LinkedIn 
uh, <laughs> as part of me uh, releasing the domain to them, um, especially because I'd not done it in bad faith or anything. I think you know, yeah. Uh, and I believe they did actually use it for short URLs at LinkedIn mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. time. Uh, not my, I'm sure not my code, but <laughs> yeah. the actual the domain and the domain does go. The domain does redirect to LinkedIn itself now. Uh, so yeah, that's my one nice. bit of code igniter. Uh, nice experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember finding Code Igniter, and I I actually liked it a lot um, back then. It was it was the first framework that I used that wasn't my own stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I quickly started doing the Symphony stuff, and then Code Igniter seemed wrong. Um, and I don't know how I'd actually look at it if I found it right now. Like it might it might not be so bad if it really just does the job. <laughs> Um, and this application wasn't bad because of code igniter by any stretch it was really just that a lot of our applications had been around for 10 or more years and they were built by students Mm -hmm. who didn't always have they weren't always as far into their computer science degrees as they could have been when they got started so you know they were they were learning on the job yeah. And so the applications reflected mm-hmm. that. And then there were also waves of developers who would touch those applications. So you'd get these uh, kind of watermarks of which developer had been in this part of the application. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so you were at uh, PHP Serbia recently. Like, yes. yeah, you and I were one of t- two of three US people. Were there, were there more US people than us? It was... The two of us and Aaron O'Neill. Yeah. Um, And did you give a event sourcing talk? I did. Or what was your talk there? It's called Hey Boss, Event Sourcing Could Fix That. (laughs) Nice. That sounds like a great topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been trying to uh, find ways to lower the barrier to entry that I felt like I was dealing with when I was first learning event sourcing. There are a lot of resources out there that you can read that can give you the details, but sometimes you just need that higher level view of how do these pieces fit together and why doesn't this really make sense? And you can kind of beat yourself up because it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So trying to find Mm -hmm. a way of uh, explaining the different design patterns and, and what they're doing and how the pieces fit together so that when you go find that fire hose of all of the information you need, maybe you've got a little bit of an understanding of what each of those pieces are. And I hope it's helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, that's, that's kind of, I think that's probably the next wave of event sourcing CQRS DDD stuff is trying to make it easier for people to use it, people to understand it. Uh, people to know where not to use it, that sort of thing. So I think that anybody contributing to that is is doing something really good for the community. Yeah. yeah. So um, are you trying to sell your current boss on event sourcing? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And for the most part, we've been able to, to sell it. Um, we were starting to go down a rabbit hole of biting off a little too much event sourcing all at once for what we had time to do in this release cycle, but, um, I think we've got a useful, uh, I guess, dipping your toe in to event sourcing. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
it's not really uh, very traditional, but this organization will have a lot more traffic than what I've been used to in the past. A lot of my applications mm-hmm. just haven't had a gigantic event store. And so this time we could very well have a large event store or we have one that's very large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess if it's relating to, even if it's not packet level events, if it's, you know, transmission level events of like a set of data, you know, like, a lot of yeah. data goes through the network these days. So, I mean, are, have you done any like estimates, like like how many hundreds of thousands of events well, per day, per hour, per the week? The thing that <laughs> we're looking at event sourcing first is where we would look at these sessions that we detect a session across the network and that session has files and those files get scored. And based on the files that are in the session, the session gets a score, but then that session can be looked at again. You can rescore the file or rescore the um, rescore the session. So there's an event for each of those types of things. And I was looking at our, we have a test server where we simulate some traffic. And in just a little over a month, there were 3 million sessions, more than 3 million sessions. And that was just the sessions. So thinking about that many events and then some multiplier to figure out the average, it, it was definitely looking big and um, yeah, it was, it's definitely going to be big. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's cool. And so like the scoring is that, would that be similar to like a projection or is that something that will the scores themselves be events or is that more of an interpretation of the event stream? Well, because we have this scanning happening in another part of the application um, and we already have the code written to handle this, the way that we're going to approach it at first is to write the events to the event store from the engine that's doing this analysis when it detects a session, when it scores a file. And throw those events into the event store. And then from my side of things, we're going to try to do things a little bit lazy and we're going to only grab the events that are relevant to that session so that we can show the history of what has happened with that session. So instead of building a projection that analyzes all all of the events, we're going to analyze only the events for that session. Hmm, okay. Which is, it's, it's hard because that's not really the way I've been, the way I've learned to do things. And um, mm-hmm. it, it feels really wrong at first. And I, I read a blog post about lazy event sourcing and it basically described this type of strategy and Mm-hmm. But I think given the load that we have and that we're putting, we're going to be putting it in place and see how it goes. Um, this has a better chance of being successful and not getting completely killed because we're on an older version of MySQL right now. We're looking at some alternatives like uh, the event store. Uh, yeah, it's just called the event store. Um 
looking at using a tool like that. But for right now, we just want to see how we can make it work and we'll be able to evaluate it using the tools that we have already and go from there. Mm-hmm. So in, the, in this particular instance, like is, is, are there any like DDD concepts in the event sourcing that, that you're doing now? Like is each individual session like, in, like are all of the events uh, tied around a, an ID that represents the session? Like is the session an aggregate route in that case or what kind of things are you doing there? Yeah, we're going to use the session ID for these events. And I'm looking at the event store in this case as just being specific to that session domain, but identifying the session ID at the top level of the event so that we can easily pull those. And then Mm -hmm. um, as we're going forward, if we're able to, when we're able to upgrade MySQL, for example, into something where we can look in the payload and pull out that session ID without having it separated out at the top level of the event store. Or, um, you know, like I said, using the event store itself where you can set up a stream ID and we could theoretically set up a mm-hmm. different stream for each of the sessions to, to build the projection for each, each of those streams. Mm-hmm. We would have that option. So it's a session like a... Is it a domain concept that the end user for the UI that you're building is aware of? Like, do they get to see the 100,000 streams or sessions that went through the system this morning? Or is that like, do they work at that level? There is. When they're looking at the UI? For the most part, there's some access that gets determined of whether or not they're able to see what they're allowed to see depending on their user group and things like that. But okay, if they're allowed to see that session, then they're allowed to see the history of the scoring. Okay. But the, so, a, so they can actually be presented with a session that they have access to and they can see all of the files that were a part of that session and yeah. that sort of thing. Cause that sounds, sounds like an interesting UI model as well. Are, are you doing any of the UX stuff or is somebody? No, no we have, um, no more people who are who, we have different people who are working on that that part of the problem there's there's quite a lot to be done on the on the API itself we're we've been adding a lot of features and kind of uh, improving a lot of other features as mm-hmm. as we get more feedback from customers and we find where some of the pain points are so in terms of these sessions is is, do you handle the writes for that through the API? So that you do write, does the, the the software that's scanning and analyzing, does that send things to you in a format that you then you store in the event store? Or is that software writing straight to the event store for you and you're just uh, projecting from it and stuff? For right now, that that software that's doing the analysis is going to write to the event store and we will be consuming those events and building from there. Um, we were looking at we were looking at doing it more in in that other software, but the tooling in Python was really limited. Um, there's a lot of there are a lot of examples of how you could do it, but that does end up being a lot of where a lot of the friction is that 
it's really tricky to find the tooling to support what you want to do. And I found a really found it really hard to do that in Python and in Go because there were a lot of um, not fully formed projects. And the ones in the PHP space are still trying to work out, work out some kinks and several of them are still labeled as do not use this in production. So that can be tricky. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, I've, apart from the sort of what I consider the enterprise platform, so the uh, J2E and the, um, and .NET, um, I've not really looked and PHP, of course, I've not really looked too much at any kind of event sourcing or CQRS libraries that are out there for other languages. De- definitely not to Python. I have looked at one uh, for Ruby, um, but again, that, that's the only one I've. It's only one I've seen. I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know the state of uh, that kind of thing in Python, Ruby, even JavaScript to an extent. I know JavaScript has similar things. I mean, I don't know much about it, but I know uh, Redux and things like that are based on these kind of theories. If if if, if even if they're given mm-hmm. it a different name. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I haven't really looked at uh, CQRS and event sourcing libraries uh, for other languages that much. So you never know, PHP might actually be slightly ahead of the curve there. If it... <laughs> That would be pretty interesting if that turned out to be the case. Um, I haven't looked a lot either. I know that I know that uh, when I talked with Emily once, she mentioned looking for some Go libraries. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But... The Go ones were very... Um they seemed a lot more like an example of this is how it would work. And the event store itself was, um, a rabbit MQ. I didn't understand uh, the the problem with that at first until, (laughs) until you talked about it a little bit more. I'm like, well, rabbit MQ, that's a great way to distribute domain messages. I didn't think that would be a problem necessarily. Yeah. Until, until you start to think about that, that, it will pick off whichever one it feels like. And, you know, if that event store is supposed to maintain your, your history and that order in which the events were produced is always important and always significant, and you will always play them in the order that they came in, then mm-hmm. how can you put them in a queue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't until I realized you were saying that that was the event store was rabbit MQ. That just, have you heard of anything like that, Dave? No, I mean, I've used, uh, I've heard of RabbitMQ as used as a bus, but not mm-hmm. the actual storage. Star. Yeah, it's not, it's not what it's made for, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it might be interesting to look at some of those other languages at some point and kind of see what that ecosystem looks like. Uh, I have Go on my list of languages I really, really, really want to learn, um, mostly because I haven't learned any new languages except for or well, I haven't really learned any new languages lately. Um, and that seems like one that would be right up with what I'd like to do. Uh, so I don't know. If, do you, have you done much with Go, Dave or Emily? Yeah, I mean, I've I've put together a few bits and bobs. I mean, I, you know, I um, I still do my uh, domain uh, drop catching. Yeah. Um, so as Go is more targeted to being a bit more like a, a systems language. Mm-hmm. I wondered how how well it would perform against my my current PHP implementation. Now I've written I've written the versions of this software in Ruby and Python and PHP, no Perl yet, um, <laughs> and Go. Um, 
and I found that because PHP, well, once it's up and running, because this is a long running thing, um, the bindings, I mean, the biggest problem for the drop catching software that I know of is uh, the, it's actually sending off the registration request uh, because it needs to be encrypted for, to TLS. So that's a bit of a, a, um, a, a what do you call it? Um, the bit that goes, that needs to be fast, but is always slow. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I, because that's really the only thing that needs to be really quick, I found that PHP was uh, linked that well with the OpenSSL library, whatever it is, that it didn't make any difference which language I used. Um, so I, I didn't really proceed. But I did write, uh, like I say, I wrote a version of that software in Go. I can't, can't remember any of it, to be quite honest. But yeah. mm-hmm. so I have some experience, but not, not really a lot. How about you, Emily? Have you done much or anything with Go, really? I looked at it when I thought very briefly that I was going to have to implement something during this release mm-hmm. and it and had a small panic <laughs> attack. But um, it, uh, it seemed fine, but going into it and expecting to be able to use someone else's library seemed like that might not be as easy. It seemed like the libraries yeah. were mostly supported by one person and a lot of them were um, maybe just playing around with an implementation and exploring it, but not not going the route of making it useful in a production environment. Mm. It's hard, though. I mean, I find that whichever whichever platform I go to, and I don't know if it's just because I'm not looking in the right places, you know, because um, the, the platforms you, you're deeply familiar with, you, you know, you can even, like, I mean, even if you... Even if you mentioned something that uh, I, I had a problem that I I didn't know any of any libraries available in PHP to solve it, I might even have a good I might there's a good chance I'd know of a of a, another PHP library or framework that does do something similar, and I'd be able to go look and see what they did, and then which would lead me down the path of to a project or a library that you know is well maintained has some good documentation. Uh, whereas when I go to other platforms, I just don't even know where to start. There's no you know, I, yeah, and and you don't have the network either. You know, you, I might reach out to Bo because he and he might know uh, in our own ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other ones, you know, without that network of people to ask, I mean, you, you can shout from the rooftops on Twitter, but yeah. still, it's very different to to actually knowing a few people in the community who you can ask. And you know, yeah. there could I mean, for all we know, there could be a, an absolutely top notch event sourcing library in Python. It's just you know, you just unfortunately the googling just didn't work for you. Um, or something along those That's lines. That's very right? true. Yeah, because even even PHP packages, a lot of times we'll get uh, members of Triangle PHP, my local user group, we'll get them to share a project they're working on or something they're trying. And if we start asking them, well, what library did you use for this thing or what library did you use for the other? It's always something new. And then other members will pipe in with, different libraries that they're using for a similar problem. And so you're always learning about new libraries and they're, they're really good libraries. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. You, you, so we're, we're fairly, I mean, obviously if you're running a user group um, and you're always at conferences and stuff, you're really well plugged into that community and you get to hear about these things. And, and, and like I say, on the other platforms, I, I, I miss that. Um, it's probably what keeps yeah. me in PHP because I just know, I know where to look for most of the stuff so mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. So qu- quick aside on the, on the uh, thing that Dave mentioned about uh, things that are required, but are always slow. Um, I, I recently was kind of tipped off to something with the whole profiling scene with the jump to PHP seven. And maybe you both have seen this already, but the PHP seven is so much faster um, that uh, it's very noticeable. Now when you profile it, it's it, the profiling part adds slowness. It, adds uh, more perceived slowness mm-hmm. than there was before because the the profiling part still takes a constant amount of time because it was always in C. It was already compiled and it was already, for the most part, um, as fast as it was going to be. I mean, we can always make it faster or whatever, but when you took a request before that took 100 milliseconds for PHP time and... Um, Profiling added 50 milliseconds. It was 150 milliseconds. So, you know, it didn't seem like it added that much. But now that PHP 7 might be able to run that 100 milliseconds worth of code in 20 milliseconds, suddenly now that constant time of profiling of 50 milliseconds is more than the actual application was going to execute before. Um, there was a whole article. I think, I think it was an article on Tideways talking about it, but I hadn't even really realized that because I, I was kind of late to the PHP 7 game, so I didn't really notice this these sorts of problems, but apparently it was, it's something that people have looked at. Did either of you run into that, or have you seen any discussions about that? Um, I, I haven't specifically. I I don't do that much profiling, if I'm honest. Like, And if I do, I start with the... I have, I have, a, I have a class called... I call it the mini profiler, uh, and it basically has mm. static methods with start, stop, and it can dump the information out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I can quickly litter my code with those to start with, and then only after that has not revealed anything will I leap to um, something like Blackfire. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not using it often enough to have noticed. I mean, I do yeah. remember the days when uh, XDebug was the way we used to profile and. K crash K cash grind and things like that. And um XDbug obviously adds massive overhead to to uh most uh requested. Mm-hmm. So I, I I do know of it then because it, it did make it hard to you just didn't know really know how relative this was from a, a, a request without XDbug running to yeah the profiled version. Um so yeah. And mm-hmm. how about you, Emily? No, I haven't really been playing around with that. Yeah, I, I guess it's it's uh, something that even goes beyond just profiling. Um, even if I mean, if you're making API requests that always took fifty milliseconds, and they still take fifty milliseconds, um, you know your 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 API time might go down, but now there's a larger percentage of time spent, or larger perceived percentage of time spent doing things that take known resource uh, limits. But anyway, I, it, it's, it was something that I hadn't really considered or expected. And I wondered if it was something that um, other people had been talking about outside of profiling, even on, you know, these great benefits of PHP going faster, but now certain things seem slower, uh, even though they've actually stayed the same amount of time, you know, like SQL response times, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, just that, that whole idea that there's this constant overhead that other things might switch or other things might vary, but um, those those bits that are always going to take a certain amount of time. Well, it's like um, going back to the, the, the domain drop catching. The, those that, that software 
it spends most of its time throttling. You know, it can it, it spends all its time querying to see if a domain is available yet, and you're only allowed to make so many queries per mm-hmm. second, minute, hour. So it doesn't matter which language you use; nearly all of them can sleep for a certain number of microseconds quite effectively with you know mm-hmm. and, and that's what it spends most of its time doing uh, so. yeah cool so did you have anything else you wanted to talk about emily like any other fun event sourcing ddd related stuff why don't you um, tell us about um is, is it women who code you're involved with i am uh, i am a director of a local chapter or a local network called uh women who code raleigh durham and We've been uh, kind of building up our network here. We've been here for about a year and trying to help more women developers connect with each other because a lot of times we end up being the only females on our team. Mm-hmm. So um, so helping build up that network. And we've been doing a lot of different events from brunch to having uh, guest speakers talk about professional uh, development and doing some maker events where we play around with Arduino or um, sewable circuits. Um, There've just been a lot of, a lot of things and it's been a really good group and we're growing pretty quickly. Okay. So I'm I'm not, is it, so is it sort of like a a worldwide like um, movement or organization and you run, did you say a chapter? Is that what you said? You run the local chapter? Yeah. Ours is a network and then there they're all over the globe. Okay. Yeah. And it's uh, an organization to support women in engineering, uh, predominantly software engineering. Oh, so, oh, so help them build up their professional networks. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So it actually spans all the engineering disciplines as well. Uh, it's, it's mostly focused at software engineering. Okay. I am. Um, I was talking <laughs> to a, a um, a friend who I play hockey with the other day and I, I've only been playing hockey with him for a while and uh, I didn't know what he did for a living and he's uh, he's an automation engineer and he asked me he then asked me what I did and and I said oh I'm a software engineer he said oh cool and we both literally at the same time said not a real engineer of course <laughs> um, <laughs> it always makes me laugh because uh, when I was when I was at university I, I studied software engineering that was the name of the course I did the degree I, I got uh, but there was um there was a um they had a lecture not well not a lecture as such but a like a seminar type thing where one of the uh, chaps from the engineering faculty i think he was mechanical engineer had like a a, a debate battle with one of the um one of the lecturers from the software engineering uh faculty or the computer science faculty about if computer science was indeed um, engineering or not. And he actually held the, uh, there's an, I don't know if you have a title for engineers over there in the States, but in Europe, there's a, there's an, a title called Euringa as in European engineer. And it's a proper title. You can have less, just use just like a doctor, doctor or professor or, and he was Euringa, Brian Thompson. So basically he was, I guess mm-hmm. it's like being a chartered engineer. And, and I could have been a chartered engineer, I think. Uh, because of that degree in my in, my work. Uh, I just find it interesting. In the States, there's a professional engineering license. And um, and so once they've, once they graduate with their engineering degree, they usually have a sponsor 
who's already a professional engineer who will help them uh, in their first few years and meet with them a little bit about what projects they're working on, what they're learning and things like that. A little bit of a mentorship thing. And then they take, they take another exam after they've been in the industry for a few years. And when they complete that exam, they can have the professional engineer uh, PE after their name. Right. Okay. So uh, would that apply to software engineers as well or just other types of engineers? No. Yeah. It, no, because most of the states here don't really recognize it in the same way. And I had the same debates in, in college, and I have them at home because my son, my husband is a mechanical engineer. Right, yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's it. I, <laughs> I, I just wondered because uh, it reminded me. Um, um, so in, in the UK, at least, we do have um, – you could be a chartered engineer. So C-Eng is the – and um, and I know I could apply for that if I wished because of – my degree at university was accredited by them as being a a degree course worthy of the charter. And I'd have to go through a similar kind of process where I'd need a sponsor. I need to evidence my uh, however many years of industrial experience and stuff like that. But yeah, just wondered. Yeah. I think it would be cool if we could have a similar structure. Mm. I think it would be really helpful. Yeah. I still call myself software engineer because I don't know how much engineering I truly do these days, but you know, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's what I did at university, and, and I, I like I like it as a, a title. Well, if you call yourself a developer, then you can be confused with someone who is Properties, developing yeah. property. You know, mm-hmm. it's all the it same, can, isn't it? Yeah, it can always get confused with yeah, something else for real. Okay, so how are we doing for time, Bo? Um, I think we're probably getting close to the end here. Okay. So, well, thank you for coming on, Emily. Uh, it's been really nice to, to meet you and have you on the show. Yes. Yes. Thank you for joining. It's been great to meet you too. Thank you very much for having cool. me here. Um, it, we'll uh, put links to your website, your Twitter bio and everything else, our Twitter handle and everything in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, and if anyone wants to know what kind of other things Emily's been up to, you can follow those links. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I think we'll call this one a wrap. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled G-R-I-L-L-O.